and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. Greetings. Happy Wednesday. Let's get to it. A lot to get to here today. Live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. I am Steve Dace, Aaron McIntyre, and Todd Erzin will be joining us here today as well. Hopefully some of you decide to do so too. Let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. 888-900-3393 is the number here to the blaze as well. And don't forget, tons of free content every day at youtube.com slash stevedace, youtube.com slash Steve Dace. Jam-packed show for you. Some buy, sell, or hold coming your way at the bottom of the hour. Uh, Our good friend Daniel Horowitz will actually be joining us on the Dace Group later this week. Uh, So today we're going to talk to somebody who wrote 4,000 words on why religious conservatives will overwhelmingly support Donald Trump in this election. And I am fascinated as to why it took 4,000 words. Because to me, it, it's, it's as simple as um, he gives you at least some of what you want, and the other party wants to end you and your way of life. How many words was that? He gives you at least some of what you want. Ten, right? Got it. And the other party wants to end you. Twenty-three words. David French requires something more verbose than that. Uh, okay, because he's responding to that crowd? Yes. All right, well, I will be eager because I need him to fill a segment. So I hope he, we get into some of those 4,000 words. I was able to do it in 23, and it, I'm not necessarily known for brevity being the soul of my wit. I think that's a fair criticism, don't you? Uh, yeah. Yeah, so 4,000 words. It's clear that this author intended this to be kind of the definitive take on this, to put this to the debate to bed kind of once and for all mm-hmm. kind of thing. So we'll get into that coming up a little bit later on. But of course, last night, the New Hampshire primary, plenty of news where that is concerned, and I'm sure it will dominate what is coming next, which is Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by Vote Socialist or Die. Bernie Sanders is the projected winner of the New Hampshire primaries with, as of this recording, 91 percent of precincts are reporting and Bernie Sanders leads Pete Buttigieg 26 percent to 24 percent. Amy Klobuchar had a surprising showing with 20 percent of the vote, while Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden failed to reach double digits in support at 9 percent and 8 percent, respectively. According to the Associated Press, the number of delegates now one through Iowa and New Hampshire is Pete Buttigieg with 22, followed by Bernie Sanders with 21. A few exit polls from NBC show just 10% of New Hampshire voters get their news from Twitter. Another exit poll showed 11% of New Hampshire voters are aged 17 through 29. That's down from 19% at the Democratic primary in 2016. Another exit poll showed 69% of New Hampshire Democrat primary voters support free public college, while 61% support single-payer health care. A CNN exit poll showed white voters chose Sanders, followed closely by Pete Buttigieg and not too far off Amy Klobuchar, while non-white voters chose Sanders by a two-to-one margin over Joe Biden, 32% to 16%, followed closely by Pete Buttigieg. Bernie Sanders spoke to his supporters. This victory here 
is the beginning of the end for Donald Trump. Pete Buttigieg, Descarada Mente, Complacido, Con Los Hispanos. Celebramos tu pertenencia en este país y si este país es tu país también. And Joe Biden spoke as well. Thank you. It is important. That I would Nevada have spoken. During yesterday's primaries, various news organizations were, of course, out and about in the Granite State asking people who they voted for. I voted for Amy Klobuchar. Tell me why. Uh, I actually went in and eeny, meeny, miny, moed it. You're kidding no, me. No, between Literally two candidates. in the booth. In the booth. Learning Spanish today, today's phrase is, I got my Democratic Republic at Costco. Tengo mi República Democrática en Costco. Katie Turr from MSNBC probably didn't expect this interview to go down like this. We have a voter out here. Sir, you're gonna, you were watching, so you're going to be on television now. Can you tell us who you voted for? <laughs> Donald John Trump. You voted for Donald John Trump? Yeah. Look at that. He Bernie need- Sanders is not appealing to you? The whole ideology, ideology would be destructive to the country. It's anti-growth. It's anti-family. It's anti-American. And... As a Roman Catholic, it's anti-life. Other news coming out of New Hampshire last night. Bring out your date! Entrepreneur Andrew Yang and Colorado Senator Michael Bennett announced they're dropping out of the race. Despite reports Tom Steyer was dropping out last night as well, his campaign confirmed those rumors are not true. I'm not dead! One final note on the New Hampshire primary. The vote totals for the winners of New Hampshire in recent cycles are as follows. In 2004, it was John Kerry at 84,000. 2008, John McCain at 88,000. 2008, Hillary Clinton, 112,000. 2016, Trump at 100,000. 2016, Bernie Sanders at 151,000. And 2020, Bernie Sanders at 72,000. One of these things is not like the other. A couple of other stories to catch up on from yesterday. The actor Jussie Smollett was finally indicted by a special prosecutor in Chicago. After an investigation, Smollett staged a hate crime where he was the victim. The incident took place over a year ago. Also, basically, the entire prosecutorial team in the trial of former Trump advisor Roger Stone resigned from their posts in protest yesterday after senior leaders at the Department of Justice, including Attorney General Bill Barr, said they would be overruling the prosecutor's judgment and would be seeking a lesser sentence for Stone. Stone was one of the figures close to Trump, caught up in the Mueller probe of alleged interference by Russia in the 2016 election. Stone was arrested last January on a few charges, all of which included obstruction and or lying to investigators. And finally, one more thing from yesterday. It turns out we might have more in common with Joy Behar from The View than we thought. How many no. are there, Barry? Many. Joy. <laughs> Of both genders, too. Uh, yeah, no, I'm what do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean, both genders? She's I'm bisexual. bisexual. Oh, you are. Oh, okay, but how yeah. does that work exactly? Oh, wait. Joy. We only have three minutes for no, this segment. You can speed it up. Come on. How does that work? I'm curious. I think... Have you never had an experience with a woman? No. Really? No. They're never in your sex dreams? No. And that's what happened while we were away. Aaron's Montage brought to you by Books. The time is running short. Guys, and the time of testing is at hand. Yes, I know she is telling you she doesn't want anything for Valentine's Day. That is a lie. All right? It is a cold-blooded lie meant to test you. All right? So, don't fail this test. Because if you think it's cold outside now, 
wait until you flunk. It will get much colder. Thankfully, Books has your back, as in bouquets of flowers. And right now, you can get their beautiful farm fresh, sustainably sourced flowers. It was a hit for all the ladies of all ages in my home. Uh, they absolutely loved these. And right now, you can get 25% off your entire purchase in time for Valentine's Day. Just go to books.com, B-O-U-Q-S, B-O-U-Q-S dot com slash Steve. To get 25% off when you go there, though, you got to use the offer code Steve at the checkout too, okay? Offer code Steve at the checkout to take advantage of that deal. And they've got everything you need there to crush it on Valentine's Day, not just the roses, but other arrangements, plants, uh, gifts, sweet treats as well. Everything you need to pass this test because it's not on a curve and it's not graded with a letter. It is a simple pass fail exercise all right so this is this is the time each year where we do or do not there is no try okay books.com slash steve b-o-u-q-s and make sure to use the promo code steve to get that 20 25 off of your order as well i want to talk in the overtime today about what lessons if any can be learned with the candidacy of andrew yang independently wealthy, self-funded, raised a lot of money at the same time too. So it, this, this wasn't a lack of being able, a, a lack of funding. Um, and, and somebody from the very beginning of his entry into the race, I mean, I first started taking him seriously when he went on Ben Shapiro's Sunday interview talk show. And that was what, last spring? Almost a year, I mean, that was many, many moons ago. This is somebody that took trying to win over People the Democratic Party has lost very seriously. We'd often talk about it the few times they would let him speak. And yet he went absolutely nowhere. And so what lessons, if any, can be learned uh, about engagement on or with the left from the candidacy of Andrew Yang? And we'll get into that today with the overtime. If you are a Blaze TV subscriber, good news. Just go to blazetv.com slash dace. It'll be up there for you later this afternoon. But if you're not yet a Blaze TV subscriber, go to that same website, blazetv.com slash dace, and you'll get a discounted subscription that gives you access to all of the exclusive content we do every day right here at Blaze TV. Some big picture items from New Hampshire that I want to point to. Um, The exact order that... I put up on my Facebook wall yesterday and on Twitter yesterday is exactly how it finished, although it was much closer at the top than I thought it was going to be. We've had two straight races where Pete Buttigieg, by a couple of points, has overperformed his polling and Bernie Sanders has underperformed his polling. Um, I, I think there's multiple things that are true here. So let me let me just start from what I think is the top line result. If if I was hired by a major net you know cable news network uh, or broadcast network to be their uh, you know political analyst, okay, um, or if I did one of those Glenn Beck specials on Blaze TV breaking down uh, the Democrat uh, electorate from here, this this would be my top line take, and and all of my other analysis would flow down from here. Bernie Sanders is a weak front runner. He's also virtually unbeatable at the exact same time. Now, how can both of those things be true? Well, it's because the Democratic Party is, has a dilemma on its hands. And for, for too many years now, too many decades, it has, it has played footsie. It has uh, played friends with benefits with Soviets, Marxists. And it has put the, allowed them to take positions of prominence in their party. They control the, the, really all of the shows on cable news that represent their point of view 
all begin from a Marxist premise, a Marxist read on things. Um, they have allowed the, the, the takeover of the schools and, the, and they put up with this because there is some obvious overlap between Marxism and traditional liberalism uh, in terms of the idea of a strong centralized government. So there's some overlap there. And, but they thought that they could pass a camel through the eye of a needle. They, they, and for many, many moons, they got away with this. Because they controlled the media, they controlled the narrative, they could just retcon things. They, ha- they, they had some self-awareness post-Reagan, um, and, and, and that was the Bill Clinton era, which I would argue is, is really the only truly successful um, uh, bipartisan presidency, m- maybe since Eisenhower, or pre-Depression. Um, you know, um, everybody wants to rip the crime bill under Bill Clinton. I, I thought that was one of the best pieces of bipartisan legislation in my lifetime. The welfare reform bill, et cetera. Uh, we had a, the Defense of Marriage Act. We had um, uh, a really landmark religious freedom protection legislation passed under Bill Clinton as well. So that era notwithstanding, though, that's the outlier here. That is the outlier in the Democratic Party post-baby boomer cultural revolution of the 60s. And this has always been trending here. And the dilemma that they've had is they know this too. Okay, they, they know who their base is better than we are. They know what their demographics are better than we do. And it's why, it's why bigger named, more charismatic candidates did not get in this race. And trying to appear to be moderate was left to a woman named Amy Klobuchar that none of you had heard of a month ago and a, uh, a mayor of a podunk town that's the size of Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Because the rest of them understand that they're at a demographic, they're, they're off kilter demographically in the National Democratic Party. That the messaging of their party is for an electorate that's a few years down the road, 2028, 2032 where we are definitely trending as a people, without a doubt, revival or bust. That that's where, that's, that's their zeitgeist. That's their water table. It's where they drink from. But the problem is the broader culture isn't ready yet to go there, right? That, that, I've used the analogy before. The broader culture needs, needs William H. Macy's character in Fargo to sell you the undercoating. The broader culture does not want to buy the hammer and the sickle yet. But it will. It will. Barring revival, it will. We're heading there. Right? They, they're heading towards the demographic destiny that they have been waiting for. And it's not racial or ethnic. It's ideological. We're heading there. But we're not there yet. And so this election was always going to be about orange man bad for them. They needed Donald Trump to fail as a president. They, they, that's why they've, gone, they've done outright coups. Because they know that they are, they're in a no man's land right now. They're too left to turn back now, but they're too left for the majority of the country as it is right now. And so they need a, they needed Trump to be their foil. Um, and they, they needed him to not be an effective president. They need to tank the economy. They need to tank markets. They need, a, they need open a, a coup attempts. No, as clumsy and as awful and as easily debunked as they have been thus far. They, they, this, is, this is what they need because they cannot win straight up on issues with the current uh, cultural landscape in America. And so if they could produce a real 
ideologically moderate candidate. And and I think I'm responsible for defining that because we throw these terms around all the time and never define them. So let me define what I what I think would be a would be a winning Democrat message in this era. And again, I'm not saying these are the things I believe. All right. I'm putting myself on the other teams in the other team's predicament. If they had somebody who was um, staunchly pro-choice, but was willing either themselves to be anti-late-term abortion or have a running mate that was. If they had somebody that was staunchly pro-gay, but thought going to the strength, hey, we won the, we won the argument. We won. All right, we've even got Christians going out and voting for a, a gay mayor with no credit, credibility for president because they just want to prove to their suburban neighbors they're not homophobes. We won. We don't need the bake the cake bigot stuff. We don't need to do that. That's stupid. It turns people against us. That's a dumb position, not to mention anti-American. Somebody like that. Somebody who um, um, was, was fine, if you, but with a public option. If you want to opt into Medicare and opt into Medicaid, voluntarily you can at this subsidized, subsidized, reduced copay. But we're not going to force people out of their plans. All right. If they had somebody that could run that, that they were well, they they have had people try this. It didn't work. If they were willing to permit this, that candidate would dominate this race and crush Bernie Sanders. But they're not, they can't permit this. The, the, the levers of power in their party won't permit it. Their cable news programs that are their Ministry of Information won't permit it. And so they're stuck right now. They're stuck. They're, 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 they're in a no man's land, as I said before. And now moderate is defined by temperament and not issues or ideology. You know, Pete, Pete Buttigieg was writing in college that Bernie Sanders was his idol. There's almost no difference between their two stances. Well, Steve, I thought a commercial that said Pete Buttigieg wasn't going to make you force you to have Medicare for all. Until he got one question from a CNN reporter at, the, at one of the debates last month here in Iowa. And he said, well, yeah, I am going to force you because we can't have stragglers. There's, there's, there's virtually no difference in their positions. Just one guy, though, understands Midwestern charm. And the other guy doesn't care because he's an old Soviet and he's been trying to storm the Kremlin since 88. So he, he, doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't give a rip. Okay, So that's the, that's the, that's the temperament. There's virtually no difference in Amy Klobuchar's positions and Bernie Sanders, but her temperament is different. So temperament is what defines moderate. And that's going to turn this into a personality contest. And that's where, that's where people within the same faction start splitting their own vote. And running right up the middle is the guy whose base is going absolutely nowhere. And if you look at where the calendar goes next, there's a little, there's a, there, now on a general election level, unless the economy tanks, they're screwed. If you go to the trend line of, of, of New Hampshire primary vote total winners. Now, everybody wants to talk about how many votes Sanders lost compared to four years ago. That's irrelevant because there, there was a head to head race. We had seven candidates in the race. So that, that, I mean, I've seen that take on Twitter all night. Either those people are dumb or lazy. All right, that, that's irrelevant. What you did head to head doesn't matter when there's a seven person field. So what I did is went back and looked at 1996, since just the last 20 years, when there's been multi-candidate fields in an open primary. And what you see, starting with Buchanan winning New Hampshire in 1996, but with less than 57,000 votes, is whenever the, it doesn't matter who the winner is, but which party. Whenever that party's winner wins New Hampshire with a low overall vote total, they have lost every single time. Buchanan in 1986, for example. John McCain destroyed George W. Bush in 2000, but wasn't the nominee. Had well over 100,000 votes. Republicans won. 
2004, John Kerry won with only about 10,000 more votes than Bernie Sanders had last night. Democrats lost. This trend line has continued. Hillary Clinton had the most votes anybody's ever had, I think, in the New Hampshire primary, or second to McCain in 2000. Democrat, she wasn't the nominee, but Democrats still won. So what, what's your, on a general election level, they're doomed unless the economy tanks because he's not he's not expanding his base anywhere now if he continues to be the perceived front runner as the process moves along he eventually will the race the field will winnow more people will make their peace with it and think i gotta get on board but that's 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 stalingrad that's 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 scorched earth that that's i've just i've come to the acceptance stage of grief that's not i'm inspiring people I mean, he's the most well-known candidate in their field because he ran last time and went all the way to the convention, and he can't, he has not expanded his base at all, none. But the problem is they can't. The woman, the woman that went in that video that said she did any, meeny, miny, mo is the most honest of them at all. You know why she can't choose? Because there's virtually no issue difference between any of them. And so, and which personality do I like? Do I want to vote for the first woman? Do I want to vote for the first gay guy? I can't make up my mind. So, any, meeny, miny, mo, catch a tiger by his toe. That's what she did. It's all personality-based now. They can't rally and coalesce a base of people. The next camp, the next event is in Nevada next month, next week. What do we have in Nevada? A lot of unions and a lot of non-white voters. Well, why does that matter? Well, there's a little nugget that I think a lot of analysts missed in the New Hampshire returns last night. Um, and Aaron had it in his montage. Among non-white voters, Bernie Sanders dominated last night. Dominated. With Joe Biden in the race. Now, in New Hampshire, that's like 5% of the electorate. But he dominated it. It's going to be a lot more of the electorate in Nevada. It's going to be a lot more of the electorate in South Carolina. So, if he is able to expand his base into non-white voters, he's going to be unbeatable. He's going to be unbeatable. And, And what's going to happen between now and Super Tuesday in three weeks? And a couple of days ago on the show, we went through all the states on Super Tuesday and how many could we really see a Pete Buttigieg winning? Not many of them, right? So what's going to happen for the next three weeks is it's open season on Bernie Sanders. You're already seeing MSNBC and CNN trying to do to him what Roger Ailes at Fox did to Ted Cruz after Iowa, where bronze was the new gold for Marco Rubio. You're seeing that right now, okay? They're, they're trying to make the whole narrative about Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar which in in many respects actually helps Bernie because the more they promote both of them at the exact same time, the more they're going to cancel each other out. You can't replace something with nothing. You can't. You have to choose one. The problem is which one do you choose? One's One's a woman and the other one's gay and they're both highly vaunted in the intersectionality scale. And since there's really no issue difference between the two, it's really just which intersectionality tribe I prefer versus yours. I can't build a winning coalition that way. I can't. So for the next three weeks, they're going to go open season on him. Now, it won't really hurt him because his base isn't going anywhere. The debate will become, does it, can they help someone else? If they just try to run Bernie down the whole time, I don't think it'll change the outcome at all. If they pick one of these two and go scorched earth or to the wall for them, maybe they could get rid of him. Maybe. But they've got between now and, and Super Tuesday because if because. He's going to win California on Super Tuesday as it stands now. If he wins California to deny the nomination, uh, hello, civil war. And so what I think you're going to see for the next three weeks is open season on Bernie Sanders. Try to take him out. 
And then if they can't take him out, they're going to wake up the morning of March 4th and then slowly but surely you're going to see more columns like Jonathan Chait wrote yesterday, a longtime lefty ideologue who, who, who does, doesn't believe, who thinks, doesn't like Bernie Sanders. But he wrote a piece yesterday at the New Republic, essentially setting the stage for eventually making his piece with it. You're going to see more of that. Slowly but surely, they'll, they'll, ret, they'll try to retcon him. Well, he's not. Yeah, he's a democratic socialist. It's not really that different. And, and, and they're going to try to do an extreme home makeover here. Okay, they're going to they're going to they're going to take him, uh, you know, and, and, and try to retcon him as lovable slowly. But surely that's where this will go next. But for the next three weeks, it's Bernie Sanders versus everybody is what's going to happen the next three weeks. But the problem is, who is the other person? Who's the who's the other somebody? Who is that? And as you look at for the next couple of weeks, um, the, the candidate that has actually grown their ranks has been Pete Buttigieg in these first two elections. But he's done it without any qualifications, purely on identity. And so this very thing that got him in the front door of these suburban, exurban voters that adore him, that he's gay, is the very thing that, that makes him pay an exorbitant cover charge pretty much everywhere else we're about to go now for the next few weeks with a couple of exceptions, Colorado, which has a gay governor and is a, you know, a quirky state. Although there's a lot of socialists at that state too. I mean, I can't even imagine what the Boulder community will do. I mean, I can vote for an avowed socialist. I can vote for Ward Churchill for president or the first gay guy. Their heads may explode. Okay. They, they might go in there. People might go in there and write in, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, Pete Sanders, uh, Bernie Buttigieg. They might not know what to do. All right. But that's a place where Pete could win. Virginia is a place with a lot of suburban voters that, that would love to get their virtue signal on. I could see him winning in places in a place like that, but there's not a lot of other places where he can win. Um, Amy Klobuchar is still widely unknown. She's not nearly as charismatic as Pete Buttigieg is, but she's also a woman. So I, I think it's open season on Bernie, but but they don't yet know who the other person's going to be. And that's why Bernie Sanders, as a weakened frontrunner, like Mitt Romney was a weak frontrunner in 2012. Mitt Romney was winning a lot of states, but they were in, he was largely building up his victory, uh, his victory uh, margin in Michigan. It was in Washtenaw and Jackson counties where Democrats, Republican has no chance of winning those counties in a general. In Ohio, it was Cuyahoga and Hamilton counties. If you look at what he did against Rick Santorum in Ohio in those counties and then every other county in the state, it wasn't even close. It was like his entire margin of victory. Well, I mean, those are places where Obama's going to win on, a, on, on election day, 80 to 20. And, and this, is, this is kind of what's happening right now, where because there's not somebody that everyone else can settle on, that's our moderate, because there aren't any moderates, and so it's really all personality-driven. It's really all, and, and, that's the, and that's why they're going to keep splitting their base. Do I want a woman or do I want a gay guy? Which persona do I want first? Which history marker do I want to make first? And since they can't make up their mind, and it's any, meeny, miny, mo. The Soviet runs right up the middle until that changes. Those are my big picture thoughts. Todd and Aaron, what do you think? The, I don't think it's going to be open season quite as broadly or systematically as I think you may be saying. And here's why. I, if the some of the exit polling is correct, Bernie Sanders got more voters last night under the age of 30 than every other candidate combined. 
that's a yo moment for that party. They've got to be thinking way beyond this election and way beyond uh, Bernie Sanders. And that's just a number they have to deal with. That's their party. I, I, and, and somehow reconciling it means in the long term means reconciling them right now with Bernie Sanders. If they simply need to hug this cactus, even, <laughs> even if it means losing to Donald Trump and looking beyond because that was that they have and you alluded you started off what they created whether um as a means to an end uh whether it was accidental or whether they got exactly what they wanted to but it it, it it's here now i know you talk about that uh it, there's a lot of people that aren't ready uh but there's a lot of people that are ready right now yep, for the revolution you. you can't spit in the face of that I agree otherwise with that. you're in the big picture, I agree. In the big picture, I agree. They're not going to turn back. I agree. Now, I think the media people don't think he can win. I should have been more specific. I often just put the media in with the Democratic Party. The media Understood. is going to declare open season on him for the next three weeks. So to make it more the media yep. wing of the Democratic I Party. I think that's close. But I agree with you that they recognize that this is where they're going. And that's why they can't, that's why they can't produce a truly ideologically moderate candidate. Because they all know yep. that this is the ultimate outcome of where they were all going to go anyway. Totally agree with that. Aaron, I'll get your take and then we'll do buy, sell, or hold when we come back. Quick note here before we get to buy, sell, or hold, and I want to get your take uh, as well on last night's results, Aaron, but I think this goes to the point that you were making a minute ago, Todd. Um, Gallup poll out this morning, 60% of Americans say they are better off now than when Trump took office, compared to just 36% who say they are not. That is higher than during the re-election campaigns of Barack Obama, George W. Bush, and Bill Clinton, all three of whom won, of course, all right? 60% of independents say they're better off than they were three years ago. Going to what you were just saying, looking at the youth vote and how Sanders dominates, looking at how among the black and brown coalitions, how terrible Pete Buttigieg does among those groups. I, I could see some more um, just cold and calculating Democratic poobahs saying, you know what? It really doesn't matter who we nominate. Exactly. If the economy is not going to tank. Exactly. And, 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 and keep in mind, from their perspective, they're always on the right side of history. They won the demographic battle. That's how they always see it. And I could see them say, you know what? Throw the old man out there. Let him lose. We, we put the blame not on his ideology, but this guy was as unlikable as it absolutely could possibly get. Okay, and you've got maybe a Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar have a future in the Democratic Party or next time around. It's, it's somebody we don't know yet that has a lot of Sanders's ideology, but does it and presents it better. And, and so that way they can just blame him and his old packaging and health concerns and, and everything else. He just they could, and he was never a Democrat anyway, and he couldn't rally our base. He's a carpetbagger. Right? They do all those things. They have their own little autopsy post 2020, like the Republicans did in, to, you know, uh, in, in 2012. They throw that out there. They dump the whole thing on Bernie Sanders and realize and, and look at it as why risk alienating the future of our party 
right now when we're up against these kinds of person of, of, of economic approval numbers what's the, why waste why fire a bullet you know right now when we, we we got control we got we run the courts we run the media we just bide our time that kind of i could see that scenario that you were just pointing and painting out or painting given yeah. playing out given what that what those gallup numbers say and you you grow that bernie bro hunger you give them <clears throat> what they want but you keep them there within the fold for the next four yep. years instead of creating that yep. breach within your own side which yep. is very real because they are hanging on by a very thin thread if you yep. do not give them what they want they might turn on you and you you build some credibility with them now so that in the ne- in the future you can steer them towards the candidates that you think are more personally palatable to the american people i think that's interesting aaron what are your thoughts so my thinking going into last night was that the i guess the best term would be the median democrat in new hampshire was going to be a lot more likely to to vote bernie sanders way than the median democrat in iowa ideologically i'm talking about uh, whereas the median Democrat in Iowa was probably going to be a lot more inclined to go uh, a Pete Buttigieg, uh, Pete Buttigieg's way, and uh, last night that was that seemingly was not the case. I thought that uh, my thinking going in for the into this would kind of <laughs> reflect more what the polls were showing us, where it would be you know not a ginormous victory for Bernie Sanders, but a comfortable one. Whereas it looks like the last thing that I saw, the last update that I saw, it was about 2% still. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2% that Bernie Sanders won by over Pete Buttigieg. That's not exactly a comfortable victory. It's a victory nonetheless, but not a comfortable victory. And so the only thing that I am left with, because last or earlier this week, seems like last week, earlier this week on Monday, when we went through the the Super Tuesday states, I had a hard time saying Bernie Sanders could win Alabama, could win South Carolina, could win any southern state. I especially had a that's not to mention Pete Buttigieg, which I don't think can win any of those states. But then I saw that exit poll from CNN, I believe it was, about the breakdown of white versus non-white support. And now I can start to see. There, there must be some support there for Bernie Sanders uh, amongst the non-white population. And as you noted, it's not a huge percentage of the electorate in New Hampshire. But once you start going south, of course, it's going to be uh, on multiple levels. And so if those things, if that's, if that's a harbinger of things to come, I, it doesn't matter It doesn't matter if the Democrat power complex comes after Bernie Sanders. It just doesn't matter for all the reasons that you said. Mm -hmm. Um, He's going to run away with this now, I think. If if that holds true, he he has a chance to run away with this. So things, you know, things can change. Obviously, keep listening to the silly, crazy voices inside your head. But it was not what I expected it to be last night. I I expected in the northern states and the more liberal states – that you would see the median Democrat would be more inclined to support Sanders. Um, but I don't I don't think that's the case. But that's not with, a you know, Iowa, New Hampshire, not huge non-white population. So all that is to say that's going to be, I think, the key thing to keep an eye on going forward. I think that's a good point there, Aaron. I think the, the voter you're talking about has, has demonstrated now in two states. They are not supporting Bernie Sanders until they absolutely have to. I think I think I think we've that's that trend line we have seen until they have to until he's the last Democrat standing or he's obviously going to win and we want to support the winner. Okay, and so until they have to, they're not getting on board. Uh, And 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 so if I were Bernie Sanders, I would be I'd be targeting a lot of my marketing 
and a lot of my strategy. Yo habla espanol. Yep, yep. Uh, for the black and brown voter the rest of the way, especially with Joe Biden out there looking like a, you know, a, a commercial sponsored by the Elder Abuse Foundation. That That's what I would be doing. Let's get to buy, sell, or hold. Part one brought to you by our friends over at Keeps. They know losing your hair sucks, but you know what doesn't? Keeping your hair without ever leaving your couch. And if you're losing your hair, you got to know about Keeps. They offer the generic versions of the only two FDA-approved hair loss products. And the generic versions are the real deal, too, but they'll help you save a fortune at the same time. So just go online, answer a few questions, snap a few pics of your hair, and a doctor will review everything and recommend the right FDA-approved hair loss treatments for you. And then it's shipped discreetly to your door. So you're probably wondering, will it work? It not only works so often that about two-thirds of the men who use this product even experience hair regrowth at the exact same time. So let's do something about it. Go to keeps.com slash grow. That's keeps.com slash grow and get your first order of keeps hair loss treatment for 50% off. Yep, that's half off, half off right now at keeps.com slash grow. Buy, seller hold. Aaron, with some help uh, from many of you in the audience, puts forth for Todd and I a series of positions, predictions, etc. Et Todd and I, you and I, or Todd, you and I will be asked, are we buying that? Do we think it has merit? Are we selling it? Meaning, nope. Or once per show, we are permitted to hold, but that is such a punk move to cop out that you will be beaten, mocked, scourged, perhaps mercilessly, according to the dude code for punking out in said fashion. Aaron. Uh, you know, I just realized something or someone that we didn't talk about, and maybe that's because it doesn't uh, that uh, it doesn't really warrant much conversation. But I'll just throw this out as the initial buy, sell, or hold. Amy Klobuchar. Buy. In, define buy. Buy in which way? Uh, rising, uh, relevant. Okay. Uh, growing. I mean, I. I he made it that simple with just the name, so I think you you buy right now. I okay, mean, yeah, I would I would buy. I don't think she's a threat to win the nomination, but I would buy. I would I, 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 that that's why I want to know what's the what's the threshold. Okay, I, I would I would buy. I think she's at she's she's put herself. Um, you know, she's she's more known now. She may have a future in the Democratic Party. Like she'll be a name that when and if Bernie Sanders wins this thing, they're going to throw her name out there as the unity running mate. That'll that may be the media's fallback position if they can't take Sanders out between now and Super Tuesday. Uh, the the months of April and May and June will be spent, you know, for a woman like Amy Klobuchar uh, being his running mate for a unity ticket. And I have my doubts whether an old Soviet like uh, Bernie Sanders is interested in a unity ticket, but I. I you know, that's certainly a better position than she was 30 days ago, right? Oh, indeed. Okay. So on that, on those grounds, I'll buy. But I don't think she's going to be the nominee. Ryan Ben says there is now a greater than 50% chance of a brokered convention. I, I'm actually going the other way on this. I, 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 I'm going to sell. And the reason why is because even though I predicted a brokered convention along with that Bernie would be the nominee, uh, our first show back, I thought... That candidates like Elizabeth, I thought Elizabeth Warren would be stronger and would eat into enough of his base. He he is, I mean, you and I were looking at some news. I saw this morning that she had canceled all of her post South Carolina advertising. Now you just saw that she's even canceled her South Carolina right, ad. At buys. least some of it, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I, I mean, you know, if if she's got, um, if if she's got a. A battle of the bulge, although, you know, 
the side that launched that last offensive still ended up losing the war. But if she has a battle of the bulge, Nevada is a state that has always suited her. Um, high union population, um, high woman vote, uh, caucus setting. But but the problem she has is is similar to Joe Biden in that their their candidacies have taken on so much water. And in Biden's case, I think he's mortally wounded that now a, lot, a good layer of your people decide, I want my vote to count. I don't want to waste it. And so I'm going to vote for the next person I think, you know, is closest to your profile. And without, without her in the race at all, the only candidate that's really going to be speaking ideologically amongst the top tier is Bernie Sanders. So, I, I mean, I don't know who, because here's the thing, if I don't think they have a candidate that can keep, they can get 28, 29% in all these states. And I don't think Elizabeth Warren's in the race to drop Bernie down a point or two by siphoning off some of competing for that base. Then, then, you know, I don't, I don't, I, I actually think there's less of a chance of a brokered convention today than I thought there was a month ago. So I'm going to sell. I think the chances are lower now. Lower. Yeah, they're definitely not over 50. They're, they're still way higher than in most cases. So it's a relevant conversation to have. But, it, you know, Steve got me thinking a while back about Joe, when I was saying never about Joe Biden. Then once we started talking about brokered convention, that was suddenly, well, th- that's that's how he could get there. But he would need to be, while not necessarily winning everywhere or maybe even anywhere not looking like a total joke and he's looking like a total joke you you can't carry this corpse all the way to the convention and then throw him up there so mm-hmm. that's also why uh steve is correct well, just one more thing while steve's talking and get me thinking i other reason why uh klobuchar is relevant i i think she has every bit the chance of of and you know what i think about Buttigieg, but every bit of chance is him at this point of getting the nomination. While I don't think those are either incredibly high, I think what Buttigieg has to deal with, with uh, certain constituencies within the Democratic Party, make he, he has a mountain to climb that Klobuchar just simply does not have. Speaking of Amy Klobuchar, Chris Pandolfo says, Amy Klobuchar is this cycle's John Kasich, but less self-important. So she's way more relevant than John Kasich ever was. Agreed. I, I, I think... Although I can see why, why you why people think that, okay, um, meaning a person that is representing a perspective that's dead in the party she's running in. There's some of that, but ideologically, she's a lot more left than John Kasich has been right was ever right as a governor. I mean, Congressman Kasich and Governor Kasich wouldn't recognize one another. They, they're they're, you know, the, the, the congressman who was one of Newt Gingrich's chief lieutenants of the contract with America was never governor of Ohio. They were two totally different people. Um, I, you don't have that level of, she's not that theologically moderate, guys. She's not. She's just not, you know, she's just not Antifa. But, but she's not that theologically moderate. But I, I can see that. I, I can see that correlation. I think the bigger problem they have is that she's their Rubio. But not and and so is Buttigieg at the same time, and they're both kind of the Rubio. 
I like I like Buttigieg's life story. Um, I like his charm on the stump. I like how he's easy uh, on television. He comes across well. Amy Klobuchar's got the, a folksy demeanor at the same. That's the problem is they're both profiled similarly. Okay. And how do you decide? If there wasn't a Bernie Sanders, your ticket would be Klobuchar Buttigieg and it would just be who is who's at the top of the ticket. I almost un, uh, un, unfortunately walked right into a double entendre there. All right. Who was at the top of the ticket would be the debate we would be having here. Okay. But the problem is that the the ideological destiny of the Democratic Party is in the race. And so they're splitting that 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 shiny objectness that they both bring to the table. Yeah, they both now are going to have to start taking greater risks to stand out. And those risks ultimately think I think the one who is dumbest last will lose between those two. One of them is going to make a gaffe that they can't recover from. That I think that's the most likely outcome of how somebody decides. And one is just there left. Mm hmm. One thing to keep in mind is I, I went back and looked it up in 2016 as we were talking. Ted Cruz dropped out of the race on May the 3rd. Donald Trump did not reach the 1,237 delegates required to be the official Republican nominee until almost a month later, uh, or almost four weeks later, May 26th, Memorial Day weekend, is when he finally crossed over into that threshold. Okay? So... Let's say, I think it's something like 1,900 delegates is what you need on the Correct. Democratic side. Yep. You know, would it technically be a brokered convention if Bernie Sanders has 1,400 or 1,500 delegates and he's in first place, but he doesn't have 1,900? Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, Trump had a contested convention. I mean, the, we all remember that, the whole free the delegates thing. And, mm-hmm. and every, I mean, you got a U.S. senator out there on the floor, Mike Lee, of the Republican convention out there in Cleveland trying to challenge this, his party's nominee for president, right? Um, you had Ken Cuccinelli, who's right now a high-ranking member of the Trump administration, was leading that fight with Mike Lee at the time. So could we see something like that? A contested convention, which is not brokered, meaning that it's not official yet, but we're not going into a smoke-filled room. Technically, yeah. I I don't know. I mean, guys, they they just did an impeachment on a terrible, nuanced, almost impossible to define for the American people issue about a call that no one heard that they did two weeks of witnesses in the House, and one of them was actually on the 27-minute call. And it blew up in their face. And they did it because they had to appease this base we're talking about. So you mean, so they were willing to put their own political futures in peril right. to appease this base, appease this base. And now we're going to go to Milwaukee at the end of July or August, whenever that convention is. And, and we're going to step to Bernie Sanders right to his grill with all of his people in attendance. Have I have a cactus, hard man. time believing that. Because who do you think, who do you think has most of these delegates at the county level. Bernie Sanders does. At the county level, the local level, Bernie Sanders does. A lot of he's gonna have most of those kinds of activists. I, I have a hard time believing they're gonna do that. I mean that that's lighting yourself on fire right. on camera. I I doubt they're gonna do that. All right. One more quickly before we get out of here this hour. Dustin Turner says a mid major school wins the NCAA tournament this year. 
I, I, you know, I'll buy it because I think it's, I think, well, define mid-major. Are we saying the Big East, the, the new Big so, East is mid-major? yeah. Well, is that one of the big six? Con- is that, yeah, that's considered they, the sixth one. Yeah, okay. so no, anything other than, okay. than the... Okay, so, so we're saying yeah. that, that, so that... San up, Diego State. So San Diego State or Dayton yeah. or Gonzaga, um, because we're saying Butler and Villanova aren't in this conversation, right? Correct. Okay. Um, I, you know what? I'll buy this year is as close to that kind of a year as we've ever had. So I, I still don't think it'll happen, but it's it's the closest we've ever been, so I'll buy. If we're saying the Big East... Now, if you were telling me the Big East was a was a mid-major, was, was a mid, then I'd absolutely, absolutely be in. Am. Yeah, but since it's not, I'm a little still, eh, but I'll buy it. I'll sell, I'll take the field, but both at the macro NCAA level and then just down at the Big Ten level... Which is where I was. I've never seen anything close to a college basketball season like this one. There, there, ha- there hasn't it's been unbelievable. The amount of top ten teams that have lost to unranked teams. The amount of times the number one team has lost. Um, uh, you know, there's, there, we haven't had a regular season like this. I mean, in the history of the AP poll, we haven't seen something like this. So, yeah. All right, we'll come back more buy, sell, or hold coming your way with hour two here, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Stay tuned. Back here with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. If you do listen via the podcast, by the way, please consider leaving us a five-star review wherever you podcast from. Those are very much appreciative because they help us to find more people like you and uh, to please the benevolent overlords we have here at The Blaze. 888-900-3393, steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, at Steve Dace Show, youtube.com slash Steve Dace as well. Part two of Buy, Seller Hold brought to you by my dog, Cap, and his new obsession. Otherwise known as Rough Greens, Vitasmart. He absolutely loves this supplement. When we mix it in with his food and water, it must taste great. Uh, because the dog loses his dang mind every morning uh, over this product. And, and here's why it's needed. Um a lot of the foods that we feed our dogs are stripped of the probiotics, healthy microbacteria, vitamins, enzymes, et cetera, that our food is stripped of as well for the same reason. The mass consumption, mass production, longer shelf life. If you put those living entities in inside the food, it spoils faster. So with that stuff stripped from your dog's food, that's where Rough Greens VitaSmart comes in. It's not dog food, but it is a healthy and apparently great tasting supplement that puts into your dog's food all of those live nutrients necessary for superior dog health. All right. So if you want to give it a shot, take my cat, my dog uh, Cap's recommendation. He is absolutely obsessed with this product. Roughgreens.com slash blaze. That's R-U-F-F. For roughgreens.com slash blaze, or you can call them at 833-693-6433. That's 833-693-6433. Aaron. All right, we'll start off this hour with uh, one of the uh, suggestions that came into our email from Kevin. Uh, He says, within the next five to seven years, tobacco will be banned and replaced with weed, which will be sold and regulated like liquor. Think they're going to ever outright ban tobacco? No. If we want to make it that simple, no. So, 
Also, see, I would actually be fine with banning it because of all the health concerns. But the reason why I'm against all the taxes and everything they levy on it is because they're not interested in exactly. health concerns. They don't yeah. care. They're, they're just, yeah. these are government cash grabs. They're not, they're not interested in it. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll sell. All right. Um, we'll move on to Todd Saffle, a sports uh, list here. He says the top five greatest athletes who would benefit from playing under today's rules. Number five, he has Warren Moon. Number four, Wayne Gretzky. Number three, Larry Bird. Number two, Joe Montana. And number one, Michael Jordan. <laughs> I saw this list yesterday. I love this list. These are the some of the greatest players ever who really would have been right. greater-ish if... Yeah, I mean, right, can you keep keep that list up there for a just, second if you don't mind? Okay. I guess the only one worth talking about to me is Warren Moon. I agree with you. I mean, the other four what's, are legends. What's yes? They're they're all time legends. No, you know what? I will give him. I'll give him Joe Montana as well. I mean, if, if and I because I've pointed this out before. If we had the pass interference rules and the no contact rules back in 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 there in in the day where you know. They had John Taylor and, and Jerry Rice. If they got a step on you with a slant, they took you to the house. If 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 you let Jerry Rice get a consistently clean break off the line of scrimmage, can you? I can't even. Uh, it'd be a video game, guys. I, I can't even imagine. It'd be Randy Moss that like two those two years he had in Minnesota and that one year with New England. It'd be fifteen years of that. Like every year, Jerry Rice would have done that every single year. And of course, who would be the guy that would would have thrown a lot but, more of those touchdowns? But the rules Joe go Montana. hand in hand with the the philosophy. We just we didn't have fun and gun back then. There was just a different version. Yeah, but Montana did play in a in, in one of the real offensive innovations, the West Coast offense. Yes. That it was you know Joe Bill Walsh but, inspired by. But what, that had a lot to do with like Roger Craig out of the backfield. Sure, it wasn't super downfield or anything sure. like that. You're, you're right, but. Um, in if, tight end, what was that guy's name? You're, well, they had a couple of them, but yeah. uh, you're, like uh, Harris, Harris Barton was one of them, and then um, um, you know Tom Rappin, the fullback, Rappen. was really good. Um, if you, but if you let Jerry Rice get a clean break off the line of scrimmage on almost every down, I mean, it it it, it would be a video game, dude. It was a video game when you could mug Jerry Rice on the street, okay, like in in. Uh, Mayor de Blasio's New York City. It was still a video game when you could when you could treat Jerry Rice like that. I can't even imagine what he would do with today's stats. And I do think you'd see Joe Montana with a statistical profile similar to what you're. You know, he's not Troy Aikman, game manager. He had very prolific stats for his era, but I think he'd have numbers similar to what a guy like a Brett Favre kind of had. I, I'll give him that one. The other ones, these guys already rewrote the record books. I mean, what what could they? I mean, I I don't you know. I don't. In fact, I I would say. I mean, Rain, hockey was more wide open in the '80s. Rain Gretzky is still like they they were talking right. about um uh, what's the uh, Washington Capitals the Russian uh, his name is escaping me right yeah I know he's one of the greatest about. ever yeah. Kovechkin right? Alex Kovechkin uh, Alex Ovechkin Ovechkin yeah he has to play like six more years right at a very high level of like third i can't remember how many goals to catch gretzky yeah it's a, it's insane He's, yeah I, I agree with that um warren moon i buy because of um you know again the prolific passing games but he is already a hall of famer i i don't know that he wins do you def, can you definitively say with the rules we have now he wins more playoff games maybe a couple more maybe i, I don't you know Maybe, I guess. But you got to look at some of the teams that he lost to, you know? 
I mean, you're losing to the Buffalo Bills and they're out there with Jim Kelly, Hall of Famer, Thurman Thomas, Hall of Famer, Andre Reid, Hall of Famer. And it ain't like they were just, you know, uh, running it off tackle, running the Vince Lombardi uh, Packer sweep 30 downs. I mean, they invented wide open offense for a lot of people in the NFL. They were in, with the no huddle and everything else. So I'll give him Warren Moon. I'll kind of give him Joe Montana. But the rest of that list, their numbers were already redonkulous. I mean, what what I, I don't know what differently they would have what differently they would have done. I don't know. Do you? So maybe the point is though that like we we wouldn't even be having conversations about Michael Jordan versus LeBron James because if they both were contemporaries and played at the same time it would be like of course Jordan maybe that's the point and but I, don't, I I mean to me I think the difference between Michael Jordan and LeBron James is Michael Jordan went to college for 2 years and then was hurt almost his entire rookie season. So that's three years that, that that LeBron James has played more than he has. That, that to me, that's essentially the difference. I think, to me, LeBron James never had to get punched in the mouth by the Pistons, uh, by the Knicks. Right. You know, that's what it's, and he, I don't. Actually, and, Jordan went to college for three years, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. And three years. So, and then yeah. he was hurt most yeah. of his rookie year. So he basically had an entire college career in his, in his youth when he wasn't putting up any numbers in the NBA that LeBron James had. that To me, that's the difference then. I, I think LeBron being a much bigger man than Michael Jordan, I, I don't think he could have handled the Knicks and the Pistons. I mean, he wouldn't have sucked or anything, but I just think... Can you imagine, given how whiny he is, yeah. the persona he has off the court? Yeah. Okay. They can you imagine what a Charles Oakley would have done? Oh, I know. That's my point. To a LeBron James. I mean, he would have made him cry. Yes. Like cry, weep, weep out there right on the court. I know. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Aaron Rialli says, John Williams is a better composer than Mozart. Now oh, his, God. his, his rationale is Aaron, he like, has many more widely guy. well-known pieces with wider cultural impact, Star Wars, Jaws, E.T., Harry Potter, Home Alone, etc. And unlike Mozart, he has yet to leave any major projects unfinished. I love. Buy. I'm starting. I could buy that. This guy is so all in. It doesn't just because it exists. Last Jedi, it's great. Rise of Skywalker was awesome. Stop being a hater. He's just. I. I, I'm actually. I've got to respect this take because it's so. I've got to. I got unabashedly all in. I am a master of useless information. Okay. I mean, I I can get on a a trivia tip. I just. I got to meet a guy though where we've got people running for president going on national television. I, I just think we should just kill kids whether, whether they're born or not. Even after they're born, why not? Okay, I mean, we've got, we don't know, we, we're, we're debating gender, what is a gender? And um, who's the first trans Marvel hero? You know, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And the dude rolls out with, I think John Williams is a better musical composer than Mozart. I mean, that is so, that is so, ran, that is, that is Seinfeldian levels of random. Like your tweet, Aaron, would have been like an entire plot to an episode of Seinfeld if they had thought oh, of it. Debating. You're making this, this guy blush right now. Debating this like, for, for the entire 23 minutes after the commercials. Okay. I mean, this is Larry David levels of, of obscure lint in the navel pondering. This is one of the greatest buy seller holds we have ever received. 
I would have to, I, I got to meet the mind that is that, that decided to wrestle with this. Aren't you a, a tad curious? Oh, he's, yeah, he, he's interesting. Oh, you know this guy? Well, no, but he's the guy. He's a regular. Okay, he's a re- he, he, responder to you on thinks, Twitter? Okay. He thinks both Rise of Skywalker and Last Jedi are divinely inspired. He's certain of it. They're holy writ? Yes. <laughs> uh, we got several XFL submissions this week. Elliot Evans says the XFL will last longer than one season. I'll buy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll, I'll buy. buy. Yeah. Bye. Uh, let's see. This one, MAGA Dittos, or yeah, MAGA Dittos. That's, oh, that's clever. Kind of that's clever. clever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, five years from now, the winningest XFL franchise will have larger crowds in the stadium every week than the worst NFL franchise. Sell. 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 You're still up against. I heard uh, Ben Kerchival is a writer for CBS Sports, and he covered a couple of the first weekend games of uh, the XFL. And I had I know they had huge TV numbers. So did the AAF. Their numbers will drop this weekend. That that's inevitable. It's just a matter of where's where where's the where's the waterline settle. Okay, they're not going to have three million viewers for every game every week. They're just not. They have a okay? much better TV deal than the AAF yes, ever had. Yes, they do. If they could, if they could have if their waterline was a million viewers, dude. I mean they they'll be expanding cities in a few in a few within the next couple of years if they get something like that. But. Um, one of the things Ben Kerchival, this writer at CBS Sports, he compared it to the NFL version of Maction. And if you know what that means, it's a reference to, for college football nuts, you know, when when those Mac games get put on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday I nights. I love that. And people love so watching much. it. It's nowhere near as good as like watching the SEC on a yeah. Saturday night. Okay. It's freaking Tuesday, but Wednesday Tuesday, night. Tuesday, Wednesday yeah. night, you get to watch college football. And so you are totally invested in Central Michigan versus Akron. You're in it. You're in, you're, you are invested in this. Okay. And I thought that was a great analogy. And if I'm Vince McMahon, I'm like nailed it. That's exactly what I'm going for. That 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 it's a close enough product that people that appreciate the best one can, can sort of see us with an endearing sort of qual of, of quality filling your niche during the off season. Um, I thought that was a great analogy, and if, and and now we we go to see if they can build on that from there. All right, this one's for me. The reigning uh, college football champions, the LSU Tigers. Could beat any XFL team. Sell. Beat any XFL team? Any XFL I think, team. I think when you've got as many, I mean, they got 16 guys more than any other team invited to the NFL scouting combine. So ask yourself, how, are, would every XFL team, if they had not been previously scouted, with the guys on their team right now, every team, have 16 players invited to the NFL scouting combine? And I don't know the answer to that. Okay, so I would guess maybe one or two would not. Maybe they could beat the worst team, but whoever turns out to be the best team, I would say no, because you're also dealing again where these guys are well into their 20s. The amount of physical development they're doing and muscle mass they've added, they've gone through three cycles of two or three cycles of a major strength and conditioning program where these LSU guys have kind of gone through one. If you're dealing with guys who are, are, are close to grown men versus fully grown men at the same time. I I, I mean, I always reject this whole NF, 
worst NFL team versus best college. Like a couple of years ago when, when Cleveland was going to go winless, right. I mean, this became such a talking point. Yes. That Vegas put a line on when Alabama was number right. one and then didn't win the national championship. They put a line on Alabama versus the Browns. And the line was the Browns by like 17 yes. over Alabama. Yes. That was the line. Yeah, I will buy this only based on the way the, the, the question is structured loosely enough that until I see something further, could... LSU and like and this is not just like any college. This is we we've kind of LSU, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State. These it's a very tight field where this the level of talent and five stars is such that could they on any given Sunday beat what we believe to be these teams? Just yeah, I th- I I think there's a. Sh- there's a shot now where this is not an unreasonable question, whereas Steve just demonstrated the whole Alabama versus the Cleveland Browns is. I, yeah, I'll say that this is possible enough to buy. Here's here's what could could bolster your case because you got me thinking as I was listening to you. Looking at, I mean, the the top quarterbacks in the XFL right now from an NFL scouting perspective are Cardale Jones, right? Matt McGloin, PJ Walker. Aaron Murray, maybe, and, 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 and Jordan Tamu. Okay, would any NFL franchise draft any of those guys over Joe Burrow? No, absolutely not. It wouldn't even you wouldn't if you were a scout and you walked into the room and suggested it. You're you're Fired. you would be an, you would be a former scout. Yes. Okay. So if that's the most important position on the field, and they don't have any quarterbacks that you would take over Joe Burrow, at the very least, then maybe you have a puncher's chance. The question then becomes, could you hold up at the line of scrimmage? Again, where you've got just guys that are, you know, uh, a lot of full, more fully developed and a lot of them are married with families. They're playing for a paycheck. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you're it, that's, that's the question. Could you hold up at the line of scrimmage? That's the phrase, the puncher's chance. Yes, yeah. I think it's there now. Okay. All right. Uh, Constantinus Roditis says Elizabeth Warren will be out after South Carolina. I think it's the easiest buy you've offered us yet. By, by the way, when new, is that? By the way, uh, end of the month, North Carolina Super Tuesday state. Brand new poll out this morning. Bernie Sanders, first place, twenty five percent. Pete Buttigieg, six percent. Yeah, no, well, agreed. That's why Klobuchar is very, very relevant. And I also think Elizabeth Warren could be out before South Carolina. Yeah, because Elizabeth Warren's polling twelve in North Carolina. So, what? What? Where's? Where does Bernie go, and where does a Klobuchar go without her in the race? It helps both of them, you know, to some extent. I think it probably at this point helps Klobuchar more because I think Bernie. One of the reasons she's out of the race is Bernie has destroyed, has taken a lot of that ideological support already. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's, there's not as much of the I want to vote for unadulterated, unfiltered leftism left amongst Warren support as much as I, I want to vote for a woman. I would guess the ratio is much more in favor of people interested in voting for a woman at this point. But there is still some. It is still, there is still some. And it would certain, and, and he, even if he can't siphon off as much of her vote base at this point as Klobuchar can, it, 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 it leaves him as the only candidate talking ideology in this race. And that's it. That's his brand. It keeps him on his brand. And you've got to get him off his brand. You've got to put his ideology on the defensive. Okay? You can't say stuff like, 
uh, you know, uh, Chuck Schumer this morning. Hey, we're 100% behind our nominee, even if it's a socialist. But then last week, and you were saying socialists can't win. It, that stuff doesn't work. You have to you, you have to show you've got a superior ideological um, um, deal to offer the American people. And that as a party, I don't think they're willing, therefore not capable of an, of that sort of a candidate. Okay, I mean, Mike Bloomberg is 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 already running against what helped him clean up the streets of New York City so he doesn't get called a racist. We're doing big gay ice cream videos that make, you know, Elizabeth Warren look like um, hints from Heloise. Uh, I, I, they're not, the, the party just isn't going to permit somebody who's, who's ideologically sane uh, to come to the forefront. It's just not. All right. On that note, uh, SPC Monkey says, if Sanders is denied the Democrat nomination, Sanders and the squad will leave the Democratic Party and form a new political party. I'll buy. Well, I'm- Sanders isn't in the Democratic Party technically right now. Sure. Okay. Um, give me, you, tell me what your buy looks like. Well, it's that conversation we've had. And we, we just reset this. I think I did last week or something like that. But we, we had the conversation, which which party, like years ago, is going to split mm-hmm. first. Mm-hmm. There's, it's it's what I said about the future of that party, the, uh, the under 30 crowd. And it's not an, everybody, there's, what's the line? When you're when you're young, of course, you're a liberal. And then the you're Winston old, Churchill it, thing, it, if yes. you're not a liberal before exactly. you're 40, you have no heart. And if you're not a conservative after 40, you have no wisdom, that, I think that's, is what it is. That's, yeah. you, there's always going to be some awakening, but not not the normative awakening we think is going to happen. This is this you're is right. dug in. They have been raised yes, from this, this is their, This is religion to them. Yes. This isn't, this isn't an ideological perspective or a lack right. of life experience. It is the replacement for Judeo-Christianity. Yes. It is their religion, and they're going to see it through generationally to the end. That's and, why it's and, revival or bust. And to, that's the one thing about that group, Ocasio-Cortez, that I actually respect. They came in, they legitimately did not give a rip what Nancy Pelosi thought about anything. Yes. They just don't care. Yep. So it could happen. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. All right. Chad Booman says Trump should brand Bernie Sanders with the label communist. Buy, and he will do that. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Like you're, you put that out there like there's a, a question or something that that's going to happen. I mean, he just did it a couple days ago, didn't yep. he? Yes, he did. Yep. William Ward says the Democrats would rather, in their eyes, forfeit this election with a Sanders candidacy than get behind Mayor Pete because of the problems it would create within the party would be much worse. Well, we kind of had this conversation yeah. last yeah. hour. Yes. Let, let, listen, their number one, they would like to win. That's their number one priority. Yeah. But if, if they start doing the calculation that the cost of going for the win that's hardly assured is what you're describing and who was it that said that can oh. you put that back up there real quick William Ward All right thank you William if, if they right. come if, if if you're if you're right if they if they decide that the cost of going for a win which is no sure thing is what is exposing they, what you're talking yes, about Yes they if you're talking about that they they piss off the Bernie Bros and the black vote in trying to do why would they do that if they have any level of self-awareness about what the future holds demographically they would that, that that's a level of insanity of just going with Pete at all costs. Yes. Yeah. Because yes, you have to also understand Pete Buttigieg isn't bringing anything to the table that 
that can leverage the party. He's the mayor of a podunk town that their their most loyal, trusted voting block for 50 years, black America, doesn't want and doesn't like. He really is, from a, from a coalition building standpoint, unless they think that, and you and I were having this conversation during the last break, unless they think that they can, similar to what Trump did in this last election, where Trump did add millions of rural uh, white voters that voted for Obama once or twice, but he did it at the expense of some of the Republican Party's suburban, traditional suburban base. So he didn't grow the Republican Party. He just kind of replaced a few million rural voters or suburban voters with a few million rural voters. Does that make sense? Yeah. The Democrats, I could see maybe they think, hey, Pete Buttigieg, all right, fine. You know what? We only get 70% of black America now. Um. And maybe over the course of time, that number continues to go down. But will we make it up by picking up five to eight points of white suburban voters who are more socially progressive now? I could see them doing that kind of math. But the problem is that you do that kind of math if it's governor or senator Buttigieg. You're not doing that kind of math for Mayor Buttigieg because he doesn't have any power in the party. Uh, he doesn't. So he's, he has to, he needs voters to give it to him, meaning that the system, the natural laws of politics do not bend over backward. Bing. Do not bend the knee. Um, is that one okay? The natural laws of politics do not bend the knee to the mayor of, of Cedar Rapids, Iowa, or South Bend, Indiana. Okay? They, they don't. They, or Flint, Michigan. They don't. They don't. So... Um, it doesn't work that way. It's not how the process works. He doesn't come in with that level of cachet. It's it's why you're not seeing the all the the Obamas and that whole machine and everything else come out all for him right now. It's why. That's why. Now, if if he shows that he's an unstoppable force of nature, they will. But it's because they've made the calculation that they have to, because it's likely he's going to win. They're not going to help him win. Dueling Politics says the top five inadvertently conservative songs. Number five, Cult of Personality by Living Color. Can see that one. Uh, number four, Sympathy for the Devil, The Rolling Stones. Can definitely see that one. Number three, Another Brick in the Wall by Pink Floyd. Given the it would be that the education establishment and what it's become post the release yeah. of that song, I yeah. can see that, yeah. Number two, Won't Get Fooled Again by well, The Who. Everybody knows that. I think that is the single greatest rock song ever composed. And so. number one, Revolution by The Beatles. That one can be iffy um, because I, I don't know that it's a conservative song. It's, it is, it's, that song is what James Carville is doing right now. That is John Lennon, a committed hippie, uh, committed, you know, you left liberal utopian. Looking though at the celebrating of Mao and, uh, and, and, and Brezhnev and Khrushchev, and he's like, um, that doesn't look like a piece. That doesn't look like a give peace a chance to me. I mean, I, I, I mean that that looks a lot like when I'm protesting here in the West. I'm, I'm not interested in. I'm not interested in the Constitution of the U.S. anymore. That I'm interested in Mao's little red book. Okay, so that's that's more of Lenin carvilling his own audience than I think it is a conservative song. So. I will say no on revolution, but I think the other four, absolutely, I could vote 
Good list. I'll buy, buy on that. So I'll buy because the list overall is good. All right. Let's get to like these last few rapid fire. I Heart Tribalism says the XFL's kickoff and extra point rules should be adopted into college football and the NFL. Um, I'm okay with it. I think the kickoff, I've told you guys before, eventually it's going to go away because it's like 25% of the injuries happen on that play. That's my favorite innovation from the XFL, though, is because they figured out how to keep the kickoff but make it a lot yeah. safer. I love the extra point stuff with yeah. the tiering. I could definitely see that, too. I'd be fine with it. I'll buy. Sure, I'll buy. Uh, Power Moves only says uh, Andrew Yang's political future, essentially. Buy, sell, or hold. Uh, sell. It's not... I don't think it's he has less a future. about him specifically. I just don't see it. Like, If he were to moderate on more social views, and we don't really know a lot of his social views. He didn't talk about him enough. He did talk about it a couple days ago, and it nearly got him banned for saying abortion should never be celebrated. Okay, But if he were to moderate some of his social views, I think he could be an absolute national electoral figure in the Republican Party. Barring that, though, I think his future is probably hosting a talk show or something or having a voice in the debate if he wants that. Right. Uh, let's see. Joe says the summer this summer, Steve will change from staying uh, lit like the Gadsden Mall to lit like Milwaukee. Oh, Bye. I love that. I'll buy it because I think it's clever. Um, although I think there may be less of a chance of that than I thought a few weeks ago. All right. This last one I really wanted to get to. Andrew Bachman says it would actually be easier to advance conservative policies if 80 percent of Americans got their political news from Twitter. Bye. I think I know where you're going with this, which is if 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 Demic, if the average run of the mill Democrat is not going on Twitter to get their news, yeah. if they're not fully being exposed yeah. to where their party ultimately is at or would like to go right. and it would benefit our cause if they got an unfiltered look at it shoved right down their throats. If that's where you're going with this by all day and every day and twice on Sunday, save the best for last. That's a good one. Yeah. And that's it for buy, sell or hold this week. What are your takeaways from what we just discussed? Cause I talked a lot. So I want to give you the last couple of minutes. The whole, did you see like a trend line from our audience or anything or anything that really stuck out to you? Oh, I never see a trend line from our audience. Well, the the one chart line is they, I mean, you can tell they're dedicated viewers of Mm -hmm. the show. Uh, not only because we recognize some of the names over and over again, but the, the the way they parse things, like they take your advice, they we we really don't see like multi-tiered questions anymore. They really try to keep it. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I mean I, that's my takeaway. I think they are uh, they are loyal adherents to the day's code. Yeah, I just I I would like to just on behalf of the audience take all the credit for every week of, of buy sell or hold because yes. it's really hard work going through all of their suggestions and screenshotting them and formatting them for the screen. And I just like to take uh, I just like to take credit for this. Thank you very much. That's our millennial, right there. Yes. All right, we're to come back. Why are religious conservatives Locked in with Donald Trump in 2020. That was written about recently at National Review. The author of that piece is going to join us next. Hey, reality check on that New Year's resolution to eat right and lose weight. How's it going so far? Chances are 
You're having some struggles because it's hard to control those cravings and portion sizes, and that's where Riduzone comes in. Developed by doctors and backed by two U.S. patents, Riduzone is the only FDA-accepted product that includes OEA. That is the naturally occurring molecule that helps you feel full faster and burns stored fat while reducing your calorie intake. Riduzone makes it easier to resist those cravings that can ruin your resolution. So get your resolve back. Now, you can only get Riduzone at its website, riduzone.com, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E for Riduzone. And if you use promo code Steve, they'll give you 65% off your order. That's huge savings, up to 65% off, plus free shipping, up to 65% off and free shipping at riduzone.com slash Steve, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, riduzone.com, promo code Steve. Again, riduzone.com, promo code Steve. Andrew Walker has uh, written a piece over at National Review, and he is with the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And he joins us now talking about understanding why religious conservatives would vote for Donald Trump. And Andrew, it's it's a pleasure to have you with us here on Blaze TV Radio and Podcast. Brother, how are you? I'm doing great, Steve. It's uh, great to be with you. So I want to get to why you thought this article needed to be written, because I'm I'm fascinated that as someone that was on the front lines of this whole conversation in 2016, when I first saw your piece, I kind of thought 2016 called and wants its argument back. Right. Like I I understood this debate and and was on the never Trump side of it, frankly, in 2016, because Everything was theoretical. We, we had no record. We, we had no, no performance to judge. We could only judge right. Donald Trump, the person. And as somebody from the First in the Nation caucus state who got to know him because he wanted my support over a couple of years, I liked him on a personal level. But when you looked at his character in his personal life, when you looked at some of the things I, I stood almost right next to him and heard him say, like, I like POWs that don't get captured and a self-esteem guru who makes Joel Osteen look like Augustine is my favorite pastor. Um, you know, I, I, I'm like, I, I, that's just a bridge too far for me. I gambled on Republicans that had, that were nice guys, you know, from the Mitt Romney's to the Bushes in the world. I almost got nothing in return. Why would I gamble on this guy? But now that he's been in office for four years, there's a record now. I mean, either you like the record or you don't. And and so I'm and then, you know, the Democratic Party just wants to end our belief system. They've they are unabashed about that. They want it vanquished from the public square. So I am fascinated why a smart guy like you thought that this still needed to be so detailed and fleshed out with, with given the president now has a record to look at. Who who do you think still doesn't understand this? I mean, and and doesn't willfully not understand it because I know all kinds of media people that willfully don't understand it, but, but sincerely don't understand this. So I, I think there's two ways to answer that. The first of which is I wrote this somewhat internally for Christians who are having this discussion, because if you hang out in Christian circles on social media, uh, the issue of whether Christians vote for Trump is a very, very divisive Mm -hmm. conversation. And it's, easily uh, heaping judgment on one side or the other. And so my whole approach right now is has been to attempt to bring some level of clarity and understanding and sympathy internally in how we think about the voting uh, process. But then that's the internal motivation. The external reason for writing this was, to be frank with you, I think religious conservatives are unfairly uh, depicted 
in broader culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the clip that we saw that went viral on CNN with Rick Wilson and Don Lemon laughing at the boomer rube demographic. Right. Well, the subtext of that is it's a lot of religious people. And the subtext is religious people are either uh, all in for Trump, they're mouth foaming Trump supporters, or the alternate interpretation is uh, you're just constantly never Trump. There's nothing redeemable. There's no reasonable reason why someone would ever bring themselves uh, to vote for Trump. And my experience talking with religious conservatives on the ground, and I'm one of those religious conservatives, and I was very much uh, never Trump in 2016. And I'm still Trump skeptical is what I would say, just because of his personality and his demeanor. Um, But I I wanted to try to bring some clarity on this middle ground group that I'm calling reluctant Trump that are neither all in for Trump. They're not wearing the MAGA hats, um, but they also see that there are calculated, reasonable reasons that would justify voting for Donald Trump. Uh, And it may not be voting for the persona and character of Donald Trump. It's the fact that the personnel of his administration and the policy of of his administration is far more amenable and less hostile uh, than the Democratic alternative. And I'm with you. I, in 2016, a lot of my convictions around this were rooted in the fact that I thought he was a completely untrustworthy character. Um, I'm still not sure necessarily how trustworthy he is at the personal level. Uh, but as far as being uh, committed and, and holding fast to what he said he would do for religious conservatives, there is at least a record now for people to look at. And just anecdotally, and then I'll stop talking. I've gotten a a massive amount of email in response to my article, and every single person who has written me has said, I didn't vote for him in 2016, but I am going to vote for him in 2020. So anecdotally, based on just my inbox, I'm actually actually predicting uh, more voter turnout and a higher uh, national vote for Donald Trump in 2020. Which I think makes sense when you look at his record. He has shown that he is transactionally responsive. You think that's a fair right. um, um, uh, euphemism? Um, you know, he's, he has shown that he is willing to do things for the people that are willing to support and or vote for him. And I, I look at things like, and it's largely symbolic, but... You know, we have had presidents for for 25 years, going back to Bill Clinton, promise to put the embassy in Jerusalem, for example. Okay, um, and and all the thrall, Arab Street, and everything else. You you've actually got Bibi Netanyahu has is visiting Saudi Arabia. You've you've got you've got Saudi sheikhs visiting concentration campsites, saying never again. That hasn't been the ruinization of the Middle East whatsoever. Um, so. At the very, we have seen him do some things that we we couldn't actually get, the quote unquote nice guy Republicans to ever do for us. I think I think just as the pressure I feel, Andrew is, I felt a lot of pressure as one of the younger guys at this advanced stage in, in on a, with a national platform that is concerned about my age and the generation behind me. Cause the younger you go, the more Trump skeptical you get. Right. Okay. Sure. And, and, and I've got to, you know, I want to reach them with a biblical worldview for the remainder of my career. 
And is this guy worthy of cashing in a lot of my show capital for when then if he doesn't deliver later, I look like a complete and total fool, right? And and that was a major calculation of how to be a good steward with the platform God gave me that I wrestled with in the last election. I now feel like this has kind of gone the other way now. We're like, now I feel like if I acknowledge the stuff he does, I agree with, like I have to, I have to cease believing the things I actually believe now because Donald Trump did some of them. And so therefore I become a orange man, Cheeto Jesus saves shill because I, <laughs> I, because I thought the capital of, of Israel was Jerusalem prior to 2015, Andrew, I don't know about you. You know, I, I, I thought that we, you know, we should ban late term abortion prior to 2015 and we should defend religious freedom prior to 2015. And and now suddenly, if he does the things I agree with, now I am a shill. I think this thing is kind of pendulum swung the other way here. What are your thoughts? Uh, I think you know, one of the things I've been joking about with my friends is, uh, you know, I still, I'm personally not overly confident on what the president's core personal convictions are on a lot of particular matters and policy matters. Uh, but what I think you can say without a doubt is that he has pandered correctly and pandered consistently yeah. uh, in the right direction. That's a good way of putting uh, it. So yep. you can you can call that transactional self-interest politics. And I'm I'm from a Christian worldview, I understand the limits of that. That from uh, from a Christian worldview, politics can't just be purely transactional. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. It has to be built on deep moral principle from a biblical worldview. Uh, and so, you know, the whole the whole position I'm staking out right now is I want to be intellectually honest. Uh, I want to be able to call balls and strikes. Yeah. So when he does really great things, I'm going to applaud that. So mm -hmm. he spoke at the March for Life as the first U.S. president to do so, sitting president live in person. That's amazing. I'm going to applaud that and say, you know, let my yes be yes. Uh, and then, you know, a day after my National Review article comes out, he retweets an account uh, where the F word is used like 28 times. Mm-hmm. And I'm just kind of like, Mr. President, you are your own worst enemy at times. If you would just maybe take away the Twitter keys and calm down, uh, exercise a little bit of impulse control, you would actually do yourself a greater favor. And so I, I, uh, I have moved from the never Trump to the still Trump skeptical uh, position. But I have to be intellectually honest and say, if you're a religious conservative and if you're socially conservative, which that's my priority in terms of my political worldview – uh, even though he he's not a great representative for social conservatism in terms of his past uh, marital record, uh, he is installing policies and personnel that are unmistakably more favorable to the to the mm -hmm. social conservative side. Uh, you know, you look at individuals who were suing the HHS department under the Obama administration because of the HHS mandate. These are the same people now running the HHS department. Uh, and so it would be intellectually dishonest for Trump skeptics to, to look around and say, no, he has done no good uh, for our causes because he has. Uh, but I'm going to keep constantly pleading that a Christian politic is going to always require us to keep some distance from the proximity of power so that we can keep that moral prophetic distance to call a spade a spade when we need to. Uh, but in turn – still trying to be intellectually honest and uh, calling balls and strikes when there's good and when there's bad. Along those lines, while you're here, there's something I want to ask you about just on a personal level as a Christian with a platform has bothered me the last few years. And I want to get your take over there um, from, from your purely theological perch. 
because I, I have been very resistant um, about, you know, I've, I've, this in some respects is the first TBN presidency is how I've described it to my audience. If you turn TBN on about every fifth show has really good orthodoxy and the rest is just complete prosperity, heresy, trash. All right. Uh, Paul, the white is a scam artist. I've tell, I, 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 I don't hesitate to point that out. I mean, I am never, as long as I get this platform, I am never going to compromise the centrality of the gospel for a politician period. Right. Okay. Good. And I'm able to separate those two things. I'm able to say, Hey, Mr. President, I appreciate this, but uh, Paula White's still a scam artist, but thank you. Okay. That what, what I see though, the last few years, you know, like I just see a guy like a Robert Jeffers is just a pure opportunist. I mean, he's violated everything in Proverbs about being careful about eating at the King's table. Basically guy just likes watching himself on Fox news and he'll say and do whatever Trump wants him to say to do it. What bothers me though is, there has been this opposing tide now that I think is thinks that they're doing principled opposition to the likes of the individual that I just mentioned, Andrew, but I think they're actually doing emulations of it. And it's, I mean, I've tried to get this woman on our show multiple times. I never hear a response. But I mean, it's like once a week, Beth Moore jumps on Twitter to say people are using the gospel to promote racism. And then like never, ever ever points out a specific example of that because if I ever saw something like that, I'd use the full power of what we have here at the blaze to, to scorch earth that, that, that hack. Okay. We've got guys at Christianity today who suddenly decide now they want to use their African names because they're apparently Kunta Kinte or something because America was bad to them. Okay. Because Trump got elected and, and there's this notion that they're taking this like really principled stance when really, I think it, it just seems to me they're kind of doing the opposite, but same genuflecting to political idolatry that they're accusing the Paula Whites and Jerry Falwell Juniors and Robert Jefferses of doing. Is am I wrong? Am I too critical of that? Uh, that's a good question. So I want to preface my comments by really emphasizing a kind of Romans fourteen approach to voting and to 2020 and want to leave room for people's consciences to allow them to reach uh, different conclusions. But what that means in turn is I'm going to allow the person who is a hardcore, uh, never Trump Christian to maintain that position. Uh, but I also then want to maintain and allow the person who reaches a different conclusion to have their conclusion mm -hmm. and then not refract the entirety of their personality and their worldview through something as really basic as voting. Um, but I, I will echo your sentiment. Um, I do think that there is uh, a particular strain of evangelical witness uh, that, again, I think is motivated by a good cause for moral consistency uh, and moral witness. And I'm, I'm never going to uh, cast aspersions on that motive. What I think it problematically results in is an over-idealized conception of what politics is. Mm -hmm. So in my piece that I wrote about, <clears throat> I appeal to Augustine uh, in, in terms of this uh, political realism that Christians believe in absolute right and wrong. Uh, but the world's stage that we operate on doesn't always give us the ability to achieve those perfect rights and those perfect wrongs on zero-sum terms. And so that requires working within the system to bring reform to the system, uh, while at the same time not 
ascribing to any particular party or any particular one candidate this eschatological hope or this eschatological despair that the future of our faith Mm -hmm. literally hinges on one particular person. Right. I think that's very well said. And I, I don't, I don't understand. To me, I, I don't, I don't have a lot of sympathy for you allowing Donald Trump to change your theology in order to justify voting for him, or to change your theology in order to justify not doing so. To me, either case is idolatry. You've made Donald Trump your god. You're conforming to his image, one way or the other. That's exactly right. And I think what we need to be doing as Christians in an election is uh, having some, you know, checking our heart, so to speak, of. You know, on, on what basis are you voting for him or on what basis are you voting against him? And kind of asking yourself, is there any legalism? Uh, is there any judgmentalism in our hearts? Uh, and, and again, I just keep coming back to this, being intellectually honest. Uh, I have no interest in imputing to Donald Trump things that he is not. Um, if I'm just being candid between us, I don't believe he is a regenerate Christian. Neither do I. Uh, yeah. But I believe he is someone because he has a conscience uh, that he's made in the image of God, that he can get some things right, mm-hmm. uh, that he can put people around him that can make good policy decisions. And we're seeing that happen. Uh, I don't know if this is exclusive uh, to just Donald Trump. I think maybe any Republican president could be doing some of these things. Uh, we can debate whether that's the case or not. But uh you know, when I look to see what is facing us in a Democratic alternative, when the uh, Democrats cannot stand and applaud at the president during the State of the Union calling for a prohibition on partial birth abortion, they mm-hmm. sit there stone-faced. Uh, that means that we're dealing not at the level of policy. We're dealing with the level of morality, yes. metaphysics, yep. and um, who, who who is ultimate authority yep. in this world. An opposing religious system, not just a political Absolutely. ideology at that point. Great stuff, Andrew. Thanks for joining us here today on The Blaze. God bless. All right, take care. Thank you, Steve. Got about a minute here, gentlemen. What do you think of that conversation? I knew you'd like that guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like people paying attention. Uh, different temperament uh, than you. That and That's across the Christian spectrum. But coming, to, he he's saying anecdotally, but people are feeling this. I mean, I, this, I don't want to vote for Donald Trump. I just don't want to. That describes a legion of people right now who have changed for various tactical reasons since 2016. It's a real thing, and you straw manning that in the orange yeah. man bad community, mm. you, you you just look weak and stupid. I, I think the the bottom line uh, of what of the tension that we find ourselves in was was underscored in the in the latter part of that interview where we're living in this tension between yes we're dealing with things at a spiritual level but we cannot afford to make any person any human being into some sort of larger than life spiritual right. figure and that's the tension that we find ourselves in in this arena and always has been and probably always will be We're going to stick around and do some overtime for Blaze TV subscribers. For the rest of you, we will see you tomorrow. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.